the fuck is up, tabletop gamers? This is not uh, our standard episode of the Oddity High actual play we have been doing. Uh, in fact, it is an interview with the game's creator, Derek, uh, which I had a lot of fun recording uh, a few weeks ago. Um, part of the reason, um, not all, part of the reason that uh, we're putting this out this week is because we have ended up uh, due to some technical fuckeries on the part of Craig, um, our Discord bot that usually records us. Uh, but this time he didn't, and we've ended up losing episode four, which sucks. Um, next week, or next two weeks from now, there will be, uh, we'll do a wee summary at the start uh, and cover what happened then, um, and then just carry on with the game. But for this week, um, instead of an episode of the actual play, we have this interview. Um, which I very much hope you enjoy. Are you drinking anything nice? Uh, anything nice? Uh, not at the moment. I just had water, although... I might want to grab a drink with something nicer. Wait, I, th- I feel like the, 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 the zone we need to get in is to have a nice drink, so I will put everything on hold, leave everything recording, and let me know when you're back with a nice bevy. Okay. I have returned. Hello, hello. What uh, beautiful beverage did you obtain? Uh, I am having... Um, diet blackberry sweet tea. Hell yeah! With a bit of vodka in it, just for fun. Nice. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's nine p.m. for me. I guess it's like afternoon for you. So at least mm. one of us is dead drinking. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm not going to be leaving the house at all. So. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Um, yeah, you deprive me of a entire night of just doing nothing but playing Zelda on Switch. So. It's fair. There we go. It's it's games. Um, yes, I guess I should just say, since this is for podcast, hello, um, listeners, this isn't quite a what the fuck is up dealist situation. Um, it's not, this is not quite pot of greed, but what the fuck is up gamers and tabletop gamers specifically because we are here um, uh, with, well, I am here. Um, with Derek, who is the designer for the uh, BBDA-style game that we have been playing, which is Oddity High. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but we love it. Thank you very much. That is always good to hear. Also, hello, audience. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing pretty alright. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm going to start out with questions because Max sent me a few specific ones um, alright and the first one he sent is about how Oddly High is inspired by Persona and he asks uh, yes. if there were because I, I I don't Persona I have what I think I watched like two episodes of the Persona 4 anime and then one mm. episode of the Persona 5 anime okay um, that's not an ideal way to get into them Persona Persona 4's anime is better than Persona 5's, but that's mostly because, as a fan of it, 
for the dub, they managed to get back basically everybody in the cast, which mm-hmm. helps a lot with the getting you back into it. Yeah. I don't know if it's an adaptation that holds up as an adaptation, because I don't know how well it stands alone. But yeah, Persona. Yes, because I've never played the game, so I was like, I want to know a bit more, because, the, you know, um, in every... Yeah, class any all the variations of playbook there's a lot of you know an example of this playbook is this character from this anime and quite mm-hmm. a few of them were from persona so i was like okay i'm gonna delve in here to the anime and see what the deal with the mascot playbook I'll, is i'll be honest uh the there's a large number of examples cited from like in this little list up there from persona and it's actually a conscious result of me going, okay, I can't cite Persona for everything. <laughs> yeah, because Max's question actually is, um, was there a specific moment from any of the games that inspired you to make Anani High? Or was it sort of a general feeling of, I want to make something like this? Um. Okay, let me think. Because I, th- I think that there, yes, there is a moment it kind of popped up in this, but I think it was when I was playing through Persona 5, but it wasn't a good moment. In fact, it was a moment that was uh, a little bad. Like, mm-hmm. it did, like, questionable fan service bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ugh, I don't like this. I'd like the story without this. And then when I thought about that, I also thought back to the other core inspiration for Oddity High, which is uh, the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought about how that would be better with all the dumb fan service bullshit cut out. And then, uh, so I thought about those sort of stories, and I kind of realized that, that I wanted to tell these stories that are mm-hmm. like this sort of anime, but without the bullshit. Yeah, and so yeah. I kind of also figured out that a good thing, like, like write, writing a story is hard. Writing a script and like making, like I couldn't like make my own anime. I couldn't make my own mm-hmm. show, but I could write a tabletop game. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that this sort of tabletop game hasn't been done. There are many yeah. anime like inspired tabletop games, but those are either a mecha, b. Specifically for something like Magical Girls. Or Mm -hmm. see, they're just like a a very blanket sort of anime. Which, Mm. if you try to expand your stuff too far, you can't really focus in on anything specific. So I decided to try my hand at writing a, a tabletop game that focused specifically on the school setting about the dichotomy between powers and school life and here we are mm-hmm. yeah that make that makes so much good because you know i think we we talked in chat about like the tragedy of oran high school host club and how it's yeah you know you've got there's there's great stuff in there and then you del- try and delve into it and it's it's nauseatingly garbage in places and you're like mm-hmm. i can't do this but yep. it's sort of like what if we take this and we chop it into little pieces, and we take the good bits, and we make it good ourselves. Like, yeah. And I, I definitely think that, like, based on that part of our 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 games play is definitely 
is taking from that, but like leaving the trash behind. Oh yeah, um, like like you got like cherry picking and leaving the trash behind is like the key to basically any of the sources of inspiration from Oddity High. There's stuff that's more or less uh, benign, more or less problematic, but there's usually always something that you gotta like pick around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, so so you said you were inspired to try and make the system, seeing that um, there wasn't anything out there already existing. Um, so, what would your history with tabletop gaming be like? Uh, is this your first foray into game design, or have you dabbled a lot more around it? Well, this is my first like tabletop, like big tabletop game I'm creating. I've been playing mm-hmm. tabletop games to greater or lesser degrees for, I think, like. 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in various systems, lots of Powered by the Apocalypse games, every, everything from Fate to Fiasco to Mouse Guard, D&D. And I've been GMing for a while. Like, I've been... Like, generally, one thing that I do is that every summer I get together with my friends and I run a campaign. Like, a short campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that I've always done with... Uh, that is basically, if there's any sort of world that's built in the setting, one of the first things I do is throw that out and make my own. A big, big hat, big mood, same, same, mm-hmm. yeah, me too. I think the year before I started doing Oddity High, I made a, a setting in Fate. Uh, it was hmm. called Paranormalcy, and it was very much inspired by uh, uh, stuff like Gravity Falls and X-Files and... Uh, Basically, it's the same sort of setting that you'd get that you would get later on from uh, the amnesty arc of the Adventure Zone. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying the McElroys plagiarized you, huh? Huh? Um, huh? <laughs> Actually, I don't know when amnesty started. Way Seems after. Like it was ages ago. Yeah, no, this was but, like two. Like this is way after amnesty. Or this is way before amnesty started. So, but. I think it ended up being differently. They ended up being sort of a, a lot more X Files than Gravity Falls. I honestly is like you know you know the monsters and they're your friends, mm-hmm. um, which is what I like about it. Um, but the, sorry, the, 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 you made a setting. Don't let me derail you. Yeah, so I've made a, like a setting and basically did a full, well, a partial fate hack, just like like taking the fate settings using the using the basic stuff that it access to, adding like a few new stats, a bunch of new stunts, a new mechanic or two. But this is definitely the biggest sort of product I've, I've undertaken as far as designing a game. And even this, it's not that much of designing something because you're starting with the Powered by the Apocalypse uh, foundation. You start with a very a very solid core. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I wanted to ask specifically, like, why PBTA? I like it. And it's good for this, and it's definitely good for this sort of uh, this sort of game, because of uh, like every like. So the playbooks, they are very like there's flexibility within them, but they kind of help focus you into a specific sort of uh, way of operation, and that mm-hmm. definitely helped with this because because you're generally dealing with either very specific sorts of. Uh, character archetypes or specific sorts of uh, power sets or how characters worked. Yeah, because it's almost like, you know, if 
what we're doing here is like, nah, we want to write our own anime and we want to make it good. Like, you know, this it's the structure in the system. It kind of gives you almost like, here are the points you have to hit if this is the character you're going to write, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And something else, because I don't know how familiar you or the rest of your players are with the Powered by the Apocalypse games, but the, one of the big unique things that Oddly High does is the two playbook system. Yeah. Most games have one playbook, but I decided to go with the the two because of the present dichotomy. And also yeah. and I've like I've seen a few games use stuff like that. Like I, this isn't the first game to use the two playbook or the that sorry, the two playbook system. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like the right sort of thing to work with because you could have your sort of agent character, but their personality could be something wildly different from one another. And uh, I also felt like it would be good to sort of codify the personality stuff because then that way it, it helps inform more about what your character can do mechanically. Like giving yeah. you moves and yeah, because the 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 only um, other PBTA system that we've all played together on podcast is Dungeon World. Um, and that's kind of you know it's very flexible and stuff, and it's it's great for sure, but it's still quite boxy. Yeah, um, and that you are this, you are this, you are this. But I think like you know for for us definitely the two playbook system. It's like you know putting a characters in like a in in sort of like the crosshairs or like a I know, just really making it easier to like kind of pull apart these tropes and examine like what is it about, you know, this particular character in anime that I like? Like, is it their personality or is it their cool powers? And like, which parts of which do I want to take and what do I want to play with? And it just makes it so much more flexible than a system like Dungeon World is. Mm-hmm. Dungeon World, as I understand it, as somebody who plays Dungeon World a bit, is that Dungeon World started very much as an attempt to take the Dungeons & Dragons experience and put it into Powered by the Apocalypse. It's a pretty early user of the mechanics, and and most of the people I've talked with about Dungeon World say that you can do that sort of experience a lot better in other systems, depending on which specific aspects you want to hone in on yeah yeah because you know if and i'm I'm coming to realize this now is in that if i want to sort of simulate the experience of playing D D, i'm gonna go and play D and i'm mm-hmm. gonna follow the rules of D because D is designed to do what D is um because you know i sort of see the occasional I think there's a YouTube video series. It's like how to make uh this character from this how to make a Doctor Strange in D and D and you're like what why would you use you need to make do- what? So uh, that okay. I feel I don't feel bad about this because this is punching up. Mm-hmm. For fuck and I realize that I have an audience here. Hello. <laughs> audience. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Don't try to force Dungeons and Dragons into be another game when you can do that so much better with a different game that could do what you want more appropriately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I guess that's what Auditory High is. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. That's yeah. what it does. Yep. Auditory High decides, like, Auditory High gives you a specific sort of setting, and there's not, it doesn't give you too much flexibility in that regard. Like, you can't take Auditory High out of the school. And yeah. you really shouldn't, because everything about Auditory High is designed to work within the bounds of the school. And, like, it's like taking fish out of water. Yeah, so that, that, it's not going to live long after that. <laughs> yeah, and plus, like, some fish move great in water. Like, there are definitely playbooks that are designed to take the school and work it very much to your advantage. The big, the biggest example of this being the model student. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, sorry. I just speaking of specific playbooks, uh, Max sent me the second question um, concerning playbooks, um, which was about how difficult was it to come up with class and ability ideas. Um, if... Oh, sorry. So, hang on, I'll read the full question. He said a lot of the playbooks have their character inspirations listed, but was it a challenge to find the right amount of them? Uh, did you go around the casts of the various games and shows Oddity High is based on and try to make a playbook for each? Um, which I think ties back to the stuff you said at the start about how it, it could have been oops all persona okay it's probably if you know what you're looking for this probably isn't subtle but the biggest sort of thing I used for the real life playbooks is can I build each of the persona 5 cast with them there mm-hmm. is a I think the one exception is the supporter, and that's because I took one playbook, and that was because of what we had at the time. Like I was operating with the assumption that one of the characters was the supporter, when it turns out that she's, in fact, more of the fan service, which is something we can discuss in a little bit. Mm-hmm, but no. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was mostly... like The real-life playbooks are mostly inspired by the cast of Persona 5, but you can also definitely take them and apply them to other classes, like, or to other anime. Like, I made them deliberately broad. Although sometimes there's examples of an angle that I made more or less from whole cloth, because it didn't quite fit a character archetype. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the other life playbooks, I I kind of did the same thing, but started with uh, the cast of Haruhi Suzumiya. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, like the first playbooks I made for the for the other life were the vanilla, the displaced, the interface, the and the plain clothes. And then I also came up with the henshin because covering magical girls and that sort of thing was something that I wanted to have as an option. And then I also did the mascot because that fell into the Persona Five category because they have a, a mascot character. Yeah, and then yeah. as as it sort of grew, and I came up with more ideas, that sort of became the other life playbooks that you have today. And I think currently the list of all the playbooks that we have is good. I think that the core games playbooks are all very solid. Now there's stuff with uh, dealing with the like the more future playbooks like the the backer playbooks and the expansion playbooks where there's been some stuff that's harder to 
work on because I can't really think too much of examples of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's Hi, mostly because I, I realized that I have... Sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. Keep going. I'll admit that my... I haven't actually watched all that much anime, all things considered. <laughs> I It definitely comes from a point of wanting to be... Or it comes from a point of being inspired by a small number of things. I don't think that's bad. Yeah. Because then you can focus more specifically on the tone and like you don't need to be you don't need to be inspired by everything yeah because like, yeah. that's kind of a way to get things muddy i i think it does it does feel weird saying that because like the anime that you have watched i don't think i had watched any of those like you know obviously i've not played persona but i've also not seen Harry Suzumiya, I've not seen, you know, uh, Monthly Girls and Zaki-kun, uh, what else? Like, I'd not be, I'd not even seen Oran, because I wasn't an anime kid, um, luckily. Uh, I think the only example that you've here were JoJo's and Mob Psycho 100, um, which I think you mentioned to me saying you hadn't seen at the time of designing the game. Yeah, I still haven't watched JoJo, although I'm Almost certain that part four will have some. Part four, I'm certain, will qualify in some regard as a Adobe iPad game. But Mob Psycho 100, like, that gets an in one. That's basically, like, everything I've wanted from this game in anime form. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so sort of. So my, my point there was, like, that I hadn't seen any of the anime that you had seen that you were basing this game on, but, like, these. Uh, playbooks, um, especially you know the the real life playbooks were very very much like familiar to me. Like mm-hmm. the brush is, you know, I'm like, oh, that's that's Joey Wheeler, that's uh, bystander fucking Taya over here. Fan service also kind of Taya over here, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, well, so so it, it it was all like it may not have been able to like connect these playbooks to like specific examples of characters at least not immediately but they are all very much i could i could feel i could smell the anime off them and like know exactly what that should look like if that makes sense well um i will say that another source of uh another thing another part of my upbringing is for a long time i used to be a major frequenter of uh tv tropes not anymore i've kind of Mm -hmm. moved past that but that's definitely a very good way to kind of tell, like, is is this a thing? And the answer yeah, yeah. is yes. You can... There's definitely some playbooks that are... Like, you can look at one trope and see, like, oh, this is all the examples of this. Yeah, yeah. It definitely helped with uh, confirming what... Confirming that this idea that you have is a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, actually, what I just um, because I've been writing down notes as you're talking, and I'm I'm curious about um, the mascot, and why it's a this sort of like different standalone playbook. Um, and and part of that may part of my confusion may just not having played Persona. Um, but I'm curious if you tried to maybe fit the mascot character more into the two playbook system and then had to take it out or whether that was like your plan from the start that um, was the plan from the get-go like Mm -hmm. the idea was like the mascot's big thing is that they are not human 
And yeah. they need, like, they kind of struggled, like, they fit in there poorly. But at the same time, when it comes to the other life stuff, when it comes to the supernatural world, that's where they shine because they are literally a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, no, the mascot was designed from the start to only have itself as a playbook, which is more or less complicated at times just because there's a lot that mm-hmm. needs to be kind mm-hmm. of worked in. And also you need to, like, build, like, you have to account for that. Like, you have to give them more moves and make sure that they have ways of dealing with the uh, indulging comforts and all the various ways they have to gain experiences and stuff that would normally be covered in part by the real-life playbook. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. So you just mentioned comforts, and I'm... I just, I just I wanted to ask kind of what the inspiration for it because each each um playbook and I can't remember if it's in the real life or other life has just these highly specific comforts that um each character needs to indulge in order to uh clear conditions and I think some of them do XP. I feel like I should know this better having uh, DM'd like five games of this. But I was wondering where each specific inspiration for comforts came from or or even more generally like where each specific like uh xp boxer check came from and like did 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 all these come did most of these come from specific characters or were some of them a bit more general and just taken from the trope rather than this specific character i think let me i think some of them are definitely from specific characters i'm looking at stuff now in the schemer or Schemer, which is one of the comforts of the Brash, is very much inspired by her, Susamia, and her dragging anybody and everybody into her schemes. But overall, uh, comforts are designed as a way to encourage players to do things that fit the playbook more. Like, these are things that you want your character to do a lot of, because it is one of the very few ways to heal. If you don't like if you don't lean into your stuff, you you're going to be hurting more. And mm-hmm. uh, experience stuff is also like that as well. In the earlier builds of the game, and this is definitely something that ran the rigors of playtesting, you basically had to mark each of your uh, sources of inspiration or sources of experience before you leveled up. You had to basically do, uh-huh. fill out the bingo. Now it's uh, you have to just mark. Uh, now, like they just fill your bar, but at the start, you had to do each of these things, and it encouraged you to do all of the various things to help truly make your character an example of their trope. Mm-hmm. And speaking of um, early playtesting, uh, that's that's got me curious as to like how how did playtesting go and. Was there maybe any just like really bad stuff you immediately decided to throw in the trash? I'm just curious. Fishing for goss here. Uh, let's see. Okay. The very first playtest of the game, one, and this is with players that knew their stuff and were helping to break things. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. So before this playtest, the warper didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what the warper could do was actually part of the Space Cadets moveset. Like, you'd have Space Cadet characters that are powerful enough to ignore a lot of reality. Mm-hmm. This got abused to Helen back, and 
it was still my absolute favorite moment of tabletop play, but it made me realize, oh, I should take this and move it to its own playbook so that we have this on lockdown. And as for stuff that we realized was, like, bad outright, uh, there's, like, I don't think there's any playbooks that we realized we needed to throw out entirely. Most of that came from uh, less of, less of playtesting and more of early readovers. Mm-hmm. But there are some mechanics that uh, we realized that didn't work in practice. And some of that was over, like, some of that was immediate, some of that required uh, multiple sessions worth of uh, kind of sussing things out and realizing, oh, this didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Is the, the combination of the other, the, blah, 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 the Space Cadet and the Warper is actually something that we have in our current game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you mentioned the potential for that to become game-breaking. Um, to which I think my reply was something like, excellent, I love to break games. Mm-hmm. Um, by which I just mean I like it when stuff gets weird. Um, not so much that breaking the game is a goal. Um, no, this is breaking things in the right way. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's a balance between stuff getting weird and then when it gets not fun is mm. when I would consider the game to be broken. Like, as long as you're having fun, it doesn't matter how well the mechanics are, yeah. um, to me anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But I was wondering, I'm, I'm assuming because I have seen, I think I did watch the first episode and a half of uh, Haruhi Suzumiya. Um, is that taken from her? The warper? Yeah, the the warper and space cadet combination. Uh yes. Well specifically, the warper is one hundred percent Haruhi Suzumiya. In fact, a thing I've been struggling with is finding other examples of that. Yeah. Because yeah. that's very much designed to be her. Yeah. yeah. And uh the space cadet well, originally it started off like Haruhi Suzumiya as a character rides the line between the space cadet and the brash. And there's stuff of her that's kind of split between the two. But I think in particular, the third angle of the space cadet, which is Wild Mind, that's very much more of Haruhi Suzumiya specifically, because it's very mm-hmm. much your sort of manic weirdo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a move in there called uh, Melancholy, Size, and Boredom, which is a very specific shout-out to Haruhi Suzumiya, because the first three books of the series are mm. The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, The Size of Haruhi Suzumiya, <laughs> and The Boredom of Haruhi Suzumiya. I, 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 do, I do actually, I think I do occasionally pick up on, you know, the, the references from names of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at Hello Sirs. Hello Sirs! Yep, that's... Um, uh, Etc. Etc. Yeah, no, there's references all over the place, which is very much a part by the apocalypse thing. Like a lot of games have references left and right, so I did not feel any shame in uh, putting them all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. Shit, I had something I was going to lift off from that, but then I got distracted by the words "hello, sirs." Yeah, I'm looking at uh, a, the otaku has a few. I think actually, King of Games. That's directly a Yu-Gi-Oh reference. Um, I do actually think that. Argyle pointed me out to this, the Kickstarter for this, and referenced the fact there was a King of Games move. And I went, oh, okay. Cool. I'll read this Kickstarter. Um, yeah, no, I'm... There's a lot of moves that I'm very happy with. Yeah, just... Uh, I just 
I think that was what I'm gonna say. Just some of these are they're just so much fun. What's like I'm curious. What's your favorite move? Ah, uh, my favorite move. I think it's oh, it's one. I uh, I know. I actually I don't have a favorite move because I read this and I was like, ah, oh, me. I think it's in the mascot, and it's something about making puns. Oh, punch and master. Yes, that's the one. No, yeah. that's. I was going to say that's one of my favorite moves too. And I because extremely. Your jokes are often unbearable, but sometimes it's just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, this yeah. is. I was like, I was proud of managing to turn puns into a workable thing. I, yeah, and I think there was there was another move which was the why do you have that move from the space cadet, um, which is like such and such you can roll to just have a random thing no matter how weird it is um and i think i read that and like that's a thing i've done in real life like i've been out at the pub and someone's like oh i've only had a measuring tape and i'd be like oh you mean like this and they've been like why do you have that and i'm like well okay i'm, a, I'm a, i do sewing for a living so obviously i have sewing supplies on me at all times but it like it rang a bell with me and i actually um sort of stole the format of that move and used it as a stunt in a Jojo Fate game that I'm playing on on Fridays. Nice. Um, I think that's uh there's definitely stunts like that in Fate, which I think is part of part of what I use as a metric to like decide, oh, this will work as a mechanic. As in based on the, the stunt formula in Fate, did you say? Yeah, or like rather like Having like that sort of ability be a move that you can just have because moves yeah, like yeah. moves should be relatively powerful because you only have so many of them. Yeah, I think that like the the thing that because like I I've I'm usually a DM and I sort of cut my teeth and got used to DMing on D and D like fifth edition D and D because that was the most accessible obvious thing mm-hmm. um when you don't know about tabletop role playing games you're like i guess it's just D and then you find out that it's not D and you're like oh fuck anyway um that was the sort of that was a system that i got used to gming with and then the only other systems i played had been like had been fiasco and stuff mm. um and the thing in powered by the apocalypse it took me ages to get used to and I, I think I'm still not used to it and I think it's a still like thing I still struggle with which you can probably hear in our play is like when does a move trigger and like because they're all quite specific but also mm-hmm. general at the same time I'm not quite sure how to describe it it's there's a fine line of like I don't know what to roll so we'll just kind of pick this move and go with it or like oh we've entered into this like hyper specific specific scenario for which this move is perfect um there's a reason that all the moves in the book are listed in bold and Mm -hmm. for the like playbook sheets all the triggers for the move your moves are on the front page Mm -hmm. so like like Powered by the Apocalypse generally works very clearly on when you trigger your moves. Mm-hmm. And so working with that is generally... I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing about the system and a good thing about Oddity High. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, just speaking of Fiasco, I know you um, mentioned earlier that that was uh, a game that you played a lot of, or am I am I, I played a bit of it, but the problem with Fiasco is that... If you're not with people, like, 
The problem with Fiasco is that it seems easier to get into than it is by a long shot. Because you have to be good at improv, and you have to be good at, like, making things work. It, it Like, Fiasco basically isn't a tabletop game. It's a improv exercise yeah. with g- goalposts. Yeah. And when it works, it's really fun. But when it doesn't, it is miserable. I, because I, I've, you know... There's a group of friends I play with, and like, oh, we play as Fiasco, um, and like, we go to the pub and just yell at each other, and it's kind of it's uh, acceptable pub behavior. It's not really acceptable game behavior, and it's great fun. But I've also tried to play Fiasco with like uh, my sort of more gamer friends, and I've been like, hey, there's this system called Fiasco. Do you want to try it out? It's really simple, and it's just not. It's you know gone down like a a, a lead balloon, as they say. Um, but yeah. I actually find that interesting because I think that I, as a GM for like a, have ended up turning to Fiasco as like a sort of instinctively using the kind of structure of Fiasco to like manage oddly high sessions. I think that's probably not a bad idea. Like that's a good way to like deal with scenes and deal with the uh, people and trying to like. I'm not sure, like, one of the things I've been working on lately is, like, putting all that sort of down on paper. Like, mm-hmm. how to, like, how to GM. And that's, uh, that's hard stuff to write. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I think, for me, Fiasco has helped me, like, playing Fiasco has helped me kind of feel out. And it, I guess it's an improv skill. Um, which is because I have absolutely no improv or even drama experience whatsoever. I'm backstage only, baby. Um, but playing Fiasco has kind of really helped me feel out like what a scene looks like and where it starts and like where the drama goes down and like in particular how a scene resolves. Um, and like I find myself using that in utterly high, like okay, the scene has gone on for ages. Like so- something needs to happen; it needs to resolve. How are we going to do that? Because um, I think you've written down somewhere in using cuts, and I can't remember where it is. But it's remember it says something about like you know when to use a cut. You know mm-hmm. when the game is stagnating, just throw something in there. Yeah. Um, or when you know when the scene needs it, um, I think yeah, the, the fiasco structures helped me figure out when to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, how has how have cuts been working for you? Um, I don't actually know. Um, I mean, I know, but I can't. I can't think right now. Because I know in um, in Dungeon World, which I think I've GM twice, maybe the the sort of moves and like oh this is a hard move this is a soft move this is here's when you should really like fuck your players over and here's when you should be nice and gentle to them um and i think having that distinction like in dungeon world it's a bit unclear about like uh, so this is a bad move this is a fine move like what's going on um and having that uh where did i put it down yeah having that distinction of like you know a soft cut your players can respond and a hard cut just happens and there's fuck all your players can do about it that's a really like helpful distinction to like know what those mean Mm -hmm. i that's not something that i came up with myself uh other powered by the apocalypse games are a lot more clear about 
that differentiation, and that's something I've taken. That's something I've taken from them because that's good. This mm-hmm. works. Most like a lot of Oddity High's base mechanics are like basically the way that Oddity High was built is that I took my playbooks, put them down, and then I basically just like scavenged everything from Powered by the Apocalypse games that I liked, threw those at the wall, and then just kind of uh kind of shook the system and iterated on it until you had something that worked. And there's definitely there's definitely new stuff. There's definitely a mechanics that I've come up with on my own. Like mm-hmm. comforts and public breakdowns are the big ones. I'm so psyched for the I'm... day that I get to play a public breakdown. I've been like just rereading and reading that move going, come on, when's it gonna happen? Oh it's my like uh... like it is a mechanic I am proud of making. It works out fantastically. Yeah. I've had uh public breakdowns are good. Do you, any of your like I don't really know of the moves that you have. Do any of your players have moves that work with public breakdowns? Uh but a bit but does the model student? Yes, the model student has one. Uh I believe it's called uh, Enough is Enough. Probably the Warper. Oh the uh, Warper has a yeah, the Warper has one that works with a public breakdown. Although that's a specific deal. And actually, I think the uh, because Elliot is playing the model student and the volatile combination, and I oh yeah, the volatile has a ticking time bomb. Yeah, I don't think he's taken that one, but uh, you never know, we may yet. Um, we are we are sort of we're early days yet. Mm-hmm. There's oh yeah 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 I was gonna ask something yes because uh, c- when you're talking about um you know taking bits from you know all these powered by the apocalypse games and just chucking them at the wall and seeing what sticks I mean it, that sounds that kind of echoes back to um when you're talking about anime and like just chopping them all up and like taking the good bits out and making them into something new and something that you want um and this this sounds like a similar tactic which i guess is kind of how things get created yeah like Um, basically creating anything is taking stuff that exists and like turning it modifying it like splicing it with other things taking stuff out until eventually you get something new and that's what that's what abdi high is it is taking this genre of fiction, like supernatural high school anime, and putting it into another thing that I like, Powered by the Apocalypse RPGs, and getting something that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we take Bikini Bottom and put it over here? Sorry. Basically. That was a bad one. That was rough. Um, let me see. Read if we don't see if another thing. What's your thought? Oh, that was like the last thing we were yeah, talking oh, about. Oh, I have remembered my thought, um, which was you know if I, when I like think about and a lot of my early GMing was um, making up my own mechanics because I didn't know how to do things, um, and like I I just you know I started DMing like D and D five e and like what I wanted to game with it wasn't quite what five e did, so I kind of started going well, do I just, like, make up my own stuff? And obviously it was bad, because the only system that I had ever played was 5e itself. Mm. Um, And, you know, after that, I ended up realizing a lot of stuff, figuring out other things, playing more things. But um, 
what I wanted to say with that was that, you know, I have like two years of tabletop experience. So, you know, and I've only played about like eight or nine different games, which is a reasonable for two years of experience. Um, but, you know, even with that, I probably would never want to start designing my own game because I still only know like a fraction of what's out there. Um, and I think a lot of what constitutes being able to design is just having a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. of like what all different games there are, which, you know, it really sounds like you have. Yeah. And I think the big thing that helped me create the game is powered by the apocalypse because that is a very solid foundation. Like Mm -hmm. you have how your stuff works with everything. And like you have your, like how dice are rolled. You have how stats work. You have how you resolve conflicts. You have like how you build a character, so on, so forth. And plus you Mm -hmm. can also just use ideas and such from other existing books to sort of, uh, like, educate how a move ends up being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, PBTI is... I think the only other PBTI game I've played is Blades in the Dark, um, which is that's, a little bit different. Yeah, that's not that's not powered by the apocalypse. It's, a, it's, a, it's its own thing, which is very much inspired by it, but is unique. Yeah. Which is to its benefit, really, but... Yeah, I mean, it, the thing it does is not what PBTA does. The thing it does is heists. Um, it's yeah. not really a... It's not, you know, story-driven as PBTA is, mm. I would say. Um, but yeah, there's just this this fun sandpit of PBTA that we're all in. Um, this anime school ship sandpit. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about that I haven't covered or just have just plain blazed over? Uh, let's Blitzed see. Over. Let me just look through... Like We talk a lot about playbooks... Uh, yeah. Oh, right. There's a thing that I mentioned that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I think the hardest playbook to actually make was the fan service because yes, yes. I and the way that I kind of had that work is that I have a friend who helped me, and she argued for it, and basically I went, "Okay, I am a cis guy. You mm-hmm. are not. You do it." Uh huh. Uh-huh. And she did, because I like I recognize that this is not like writing the sort of like fan service character should not be something that I undertake. Yeah, yeah. And so there's been a lot of like conflict and stuff over that, but it's definitely it definitely came out a lot better than I could ever hope for with this sort of character idea, because like her big argument towards including it is. The stuff that you like has this sort of character in it, which, yeah, it's not a character trope I like, but it's something that needs to be handled well, and I think this handles it well enough. Yeah. I also think that this system, or, you know, the, the, it, you know, it's such a trope that I don't think you could have an anime high school game without it. Yeah. Um, I mean, not all tropes are good, but it's something that you have to, basically handle with the right sort of gloves. And I think I did that as well as I can, again, by having a woman handle it instead of a guy. Yeah, yeah. I also think that having the fan service there, you know, it it allows the player to take, like, this trope, which is, you know, in anime, pretty much always crap. 
mm-hmm. to see. And always you watching and Misato is there with her like titties on. You're like, mm, I don't want to see this, thank you. But you know, it if I could take that and then I'll make it good by god damn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of speaking of that thing of like taking shitty animes and being like, No, 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 this is how we do it well. Um Yeah. And actually it's 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 um it's fun because my first my first ever D D character, um was was a monk and her backstory was that she was a pole dancer and she was she just got so good at pole dancing that she had such powerful thighs that she could like kick a man to death with them and that was like my backstory i was like you know what i'm gonna make the like aesthetically sluttiest character and she's gonna have chainmail bikini and she's gonna have her legs out um but for fuck's sake i'm gonna make it mine and i'm gonna do it my way um that kicks ass uh yeah like the first thing she did was kill a man by kicking him in the balls three times it was it was it was it was it was amazing and that that was my first D session i was like i love this Mm -hmm. um but i've also seen that a few other times where new players will take those really shitty specifically fantasy tropes because this is D we're talking about we'll take those like shitty fantasy tropes and just like own them and make them like fun and good and like you know appropriate to play and not like you know whenever women are playing fan service characters it's like no 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 this is this is ours again this is what yeah. we're gonna do with it and it's gonna be good and i you know i'm actually really grateful that that playbook is in there and like allows people to do that um yeah i would agree um that actually reminds me of something else with the adi high creations process so one of the other life playbooks and this is actually one i've had working for like since pretty early on in the process is uh mm-hmm. smiler which basically came about yeah. because a there's a character a character that kind of fills that which is one of my favorite scenes in any like the sort of reveal of her being the smiler is one of my favorite scenes of anime period mm-hmm. because i like that sort of trash but mm-hmm. and also i realized that like hey if i take this and I handle it on my terms then i can handle it on my terms and then have like be like oh you want to be like a, a yandere type character you do it like this. You do it with this playbook, and it serves it up how it serves it up in a way that I think kind of helps mitigate some of the problems that that would have, mm-hmm. and also just like handles it in an interesting way mechanically. Because mm-hmm. the fun thing about Smiler is that they don't have empathy, mm-hmm. as in the stat. Oh, okay. As a, okay, yes, empathy the stat. Yeah. That- because yeah because the smiler you know i think i saw some little bits about it mm-hmm. um but it's it's not here in the oh, list of players yeah no it got taken out of the core book because of uh it is something it, it is a, a tone shift that definitely needs to be opted into because the smiler yeah. is like this like if if somebody is playing the smiler somebody is probably going to die yeah like one of their core things about their power sets is that they always have a knife. Mm-hmm. And so somebody's probably going to get stabbed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like definitely handling that was something I wanted to do on my own terms. And I think 
I think overall it's come out well. But yeah. So is is will the is the smiler going to be available as one of the separate playbooks? Yeah. Um, that comes out in future. Uh, yes, it will be available as a playbook. It will be a free release. Mm-hmm. It is not going to be part of the playbook packs. Although those yeah. are coming out quite nicely, I would recommend that you buy them. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Like sometimes if I'm like, eh, I want to work on the game, but I don't feel like working on the writing. Mm-hmm. I kind of sit down and help make a move for the expansion playbooks, and uh, I'm really liking how the teachers turned out. Okay, because I don't. The only one I know so far is the idol. Oh well, that's different. The idol is like those are backer playbooks. Those are available. Okay, actually. so those are backer playbooks. Uh, oh. If you look in the, I think there's in the Google Dive, you can or the Google Drive, you have access to them. There is like the backer playbooks are the idol, the experiment, the pragmatist, and the shadow. The idol and the pragmatist are real life playbooks, and the experiment and the shadow are other life. Oh, I like the sound of the pragmatist. Yeah. Uh, like, I, uh, I can, like, already sort of feel how that might work, yeah. No, it's definitely, like, the bastard playbook. Uh, <laughs> one of the bigger... Uh, you, you, we've mentioned Oran, and I think the biggest inspiration for that in day-to-day operation is uh, Kyoya. Which one's that one in Oran? Uh, the guy with the glasses and the black hair. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, the Shadow Prince guy. Yeah. What? No, as I, I just... Every time I think about Oren, I just feel weird and bad, but also good. Yeah. It's conflicting for me. Mm-hmm. I try not to think about it too much. Understandable. <laughs> but yeah, uh, those are the backer playbooks, and then there's more in the expansion stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so I can list it for the people and the listeners. Uh, and keep in mind that this is subject to change, because uh, various playbooks have been... Like, sometimes I'm, like, working on a backer playbook, and I'm like, this isn't working mechanically. I can't come up with any inspiration. But uh, currently, what I have is that there's going to be two free playbooks, one for real life, one for other life. Uh, The other life one is the Smiler, as mentioned, and the real life one is the Quiet one, which is your character that kind of, uh, kind of is kind of pliant, doesn't say much. Well, doesn't say much is a big thing, but then they're also kind of defined by a... They're more... Defined by their angles. So, like, you can have your, like, stoic badass or just kind of, like, your passive go-for-the-flow type guy, like, mob. Mm-hmm. And then for the playbook packs, the first one has uh, the athlete and the jester as your real-life playbooks. Uh-huh. And then the other life playbooks are the undead and the imposter. Well, the, the imposter is one of actually kind of started working on recently, and basically their idea is through some sort of shitty circumstances, or perhaps circumstances you've had, everybody thinks that you're somebody else. And everybody has sort of expectations of who you are, but you don't know them yet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, yeah. yeah it's sort of yeah. inspired by me reading through a bunch of, uh, like going to my, man- my uh, manga collection at my local library, and seeing like, hmm... There's a lot of stuff that starts off with, uh, oh, this character is their twin brother, switches places with them, and oh no, they're going to an all boys school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, myself, just the the king from My Hero Academia comes immediately to mind with that. That is a show that I've tried to watch but bounced off of. I found the pacing a bit too slow. I've like seen it all. 
and also like fallen out of favor with it because then I started reading the manga and I kind of couldn't stand it anymore. Yeah, which I'm a bit sad about because there was so much hype about it and I was like mm. really ready to be swept up with the flow. And I'm like, nah, I don't like this anymore. Sorry. I'll yeah. probably I'll watch I'll watch the new season when it comes out anyway because whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I was just oh, sorry. I was just thinking while you were going over those that that like there is so much in this just with the you know the two playbook system and the amount of playbooks there are um and it kind of made me realize that because um you know of the way each playbook like sort of confines you to a set of tropes um it really helps to have like a wide variety of playbooks so that you know each player can actually Oh yeah, sort of get what they want out of a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a related thing to that is that there are there's a fair like you can build a playbook to do a lot of what another playbook can be built to do as well. Not mechanically, but you can get to the same sort of character. And yeah, that's yeah. like part of that's by design because like mm-hmm. if two players want to be sort of like the brash or like sort of like the loud kind of weirdo at like if if two people want to be like big athletes like you can do that from like going from like the brash or the model student or really most playbooks i because you know we yeah because i think we had that where i think both elliot and dan had taken the same playbook uh which i think was the otaku hmm. in character creation uh and then i came across this i was like hmm okay well that's probably fine as long as you don't take the same angle. And then you kill them on. You came along and you were like, no. Um, and yeah. I was kind of like, eh, at the time. But like having played it, it just it makes so much more sense because like there is that you know variety of moves and just like having over a lot. But just I I can see like with progressing in play would just kind of like drag the game down. Um, and you you need that variety in it. Mm-hmm. But you know the the despite Elliot's um, actual like playbooks having changed, like the n- overall nature and theme of the character that he's playing really hasn't. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, also because I've um, I, I only listen like there's more playbooks to list from the expansion because there's two playbook packs. The, like the second playbook pack, which is which is one I like. I like a bit more, but the playbooks are more off the wall. Are the delinquent, the teacher for the real life, and again, the teacher is quite fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun to like work on a playbook that approaches things from a completely different way, like being yeah. an adult. And I'm yeah. glad that I watched Mob because, like, you can't have something that does the same sort of tropes that Mob does without being able to build a character that's basically Reagan. Because yeah, that man yeah. is like that. Like that sort of character seems like it would be incredibly fun to play. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of what the teacher does is uh, leveraging their authority to kind of work to their advantage. Like they're a very mm-hmm. talky class, mm-hmm. and uh, but there's also like a lot of sources for inspiration from a for a teacher. Like, uh, have you read Assassination Classroom? Nope. Okay, so. The the main I've read two mangas. Okay, both of them are Naruto. <laughs> yeah, the big the big thing there is that the main like the, the main character is the teacher who is also like this crazy unkillable alien guy. Uh huh. Like, look up a picture of him, or I'll find one for you. 
Oh, the the yellow the yellow boyo. Yep. Uh huh. The the balloon man. Yep. With the million arms. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. That's actually like the more like I kind of realized that like oh this is a viable character because I believe I'm not sure if this is a bit of a spoiler. I honestly don't know. I haven't read. I've only read like the first five issues of Assassination Classroom, but I'm pretty sure that he's a a teacher interface. Okay. And the interface lets you do a lot of crazy powerful stuff. And so mm-hmm. yeah, no, uh, this motherfucker is a viable player character. <sighs> okay, okay. I think we do need to wrap up because we have been uh, recording for a while. Yeah. Oh, oh um, also, just like because we kind of went off of a tangent, the other two playbooks, the other life playbooks for Playbook Pack 2 are the Looper, which is you're stuck in a time loop and it sucks. That's a dark one. Like, uh-huh, that, that, uh-huh. like that one, like that one expects player death. And then yeah. the, the last one is the Time Traveler. And that uh-huh. one's been kind of hard to write because yeah. time travel. It's a motherfucker, yeah. isn't it? it it's... Speaking of someone who's delved extensively into the 90s canon of Doctor Who books, it's a nightmare to write. Yep. And also, like, like that is a thing that I've written in, like, the... This is, like, in the how you play with this playbook thing for GMs mm-hmm. is that you have to... Like, there are playbooks that you have to run by your DM first to... Or rather, run by the lead writer, sorry, in order to get, get yeah. their approval. And the time traveler is one of them. Not because it's dark... Because, but because you don't force writing time traveler plots on somebody. That's, that's, that is a dick move. Yeah. Yeah. But time travel is definitely something that I want. And with any luck, it'll be written, like, with any luck, it'll turn out nice. Yeah. Anyway, as you said, it looks like this interview is wrapping up. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for inviting me into your little sphere. I love hearing about your shit. I would love to, I'd love to like chat with you guys at various points. If you ever like hang out in general chats and such, because you all seem like cool people. Yeah. Oh, thanks. But uh, finally, if if um, listeners want to get their hands on Oddity High, where should they go to at the moment? Uh, well, I would recommend keeping tabs on it through its Twitter, which is at Oddity High RPG, and. Uh, that's the big thing. It doesn't really have too much of a social presence. Otherwise, if you want to keep up with updates, just like look at its Kickstarter page every so often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you can come to Kaiba.online and like interact with all of us directly, including Derek here. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm Sarah, whatever, pot of green, tumblr.com, blah, 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 whatever. This is not about us. Um, this is about you. So thank you very much for coming on. And I feel like there's like a lot more we could have talked about because, oh, like, for sure. honestly, I feel like I could go through like every one of these playbooks with a fine tooth comb and be like, oh, check out how cool this is. Oh, definitely, um, definitely. There's just so many just, just really fun bits. Kind of, I've just scrolled past the, uh, comfort that's just named Baka, and I'm like fuck's sake so fun yeah no, that um, one's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one's a good one like I've when you have a way to build your character as a tsundere you have to have a way of like like that has to be a comfort like that's you, you, you required go. by the law yeah it's uh, we yeah we looked at your contract for an anime game and it said we must have tsundere anyway um 
thank you very much for coming on once again i i don't actually know how to end this because it's not like our standard podcast and i'm not gonna get you to read out mormon readers booty ass dirt hand slap prints so i guess we'll just say goodbye 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 you got no when to hold in the hood no when to fall in the no when to walk away and no when to run you never count your money when you're sitting There'll be time enough for counting when the dealer's done. You got.